Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to bring you up to speed. We were started, or I started a new series last week leading up to Christmas, which I called Emmanuel, God with us. Um, We sang a song that we introduced last week. We sang it again this morning called Emmanuel, God with us. Ironic, isn't it? It's the same title as the series, but it speaks a truth, um, which we're trying to delve into um, over the next few weeks. And we're looking at what I said was, is often regarded as the Christmas narrative or the Christmas story. But as I shared last week, I think it's so much more than that. Often these passages we look at at a certain time of year are sometimes some of the passages we should look at whatever time in the year because they're so fundamental to building our faith in God. And my hope is that we are going to learn something new over these weeks in order to reaffirm or build up our faith in Christ. Now, who, were here, who was here last week? A bit of show of hands, okay. Keep your hands up if you learned something new last week. Quite a few hands, okay. Jo- jobs are good and we're doing well so far. Um, if not, it's okay. I still, I've got a goal. At one point over this series, or at best, every single time I share, maybe something new will come to our forefront of our thinking. Maybe we've learned something new. And the great thing about learning something new is it stays in our mind, and it causes us to ponder Scripture again, and brings us back to that awe and wonder of God. Because when we're familiar with passages, sometimes we become numb to its significance. Yeah. Now, last week, we looked at what I called the parents of the promise. We looked at Mary and Joseph. Um, Yeah, we looked at Mary and Joseph, how their reality conflicted the promise. Yet despite the cultural norms, despite the reality uh, before them, they chose to respond in faithful obedience and trust in the grace and favor of God. It's quite an amazing account when you consider what they were experiencing in the moment. There have been, up to this point, almost 400 years of silence, of nothing recorded in Scripture, of God, of him moving. And then they have this encounter, and they respond in faithful obedience. Just quite amazing. So just going to bring us up to speed to where I'm bringing us today. And we... We'll see if we follow the narrative that Mary and Joseph, they traveled to Bethlehem, the town of David, as they had to register to the census that was issued by Caesar Augustus at the time. And now it came for Mary, the time was upon them, that Mary was to give birth. And so they laid um, Jesus in a manger due to there being no room. And this is where we're going to pick the story up. But before I delve into this, just going to give a little, try and give a bit of an analogy, a bit of a story to kind of allude us to where we're going today. Okay? Now, how many of you have experienced something awe-inspiring? You can show your hands again. Something that takes your breath away. It could be you've been to somewhere you've never been before, and you see this, and it could be an amazing scenery, and it kind of just captivates you. That you just have to stand there in awe and wonder. Or maybe you've experienced something in your life that you've just been like, this, this is incredible. I didn't expect this to happen. Like a promotion at work. Maybe not. <laughs> um, 
Maybe you've, you've, someone has done something for you that you weren't expecting them to do. And it's so good, and you're, you're overcome with this emotion, this raw feeling of gratefulness that you have to share it with somebody. You won't believe what happened to me this week. Somebody came up to me, and they just offered me uh, a, a coffee and a chat, and I, it was just what I needed. Or maybe, like, I'll go back to the promotion story. It was just like, or maybe you're going to work. He's like, I mean, Giovanni, you won't believe it. You know, trustees have come up to me and offered me a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> you won't believe it. It's unbelievable. I wasn't expecting it. You know, things like that. And you just are overwhelmed with this incredible feeling of euphoria that you have to tell somebody about it because it's just so good. I think children are amazing because everything's good to children. It's almost like they're seeing things for the first time, especially at Christmas. They become amazed at when, when the weather changes and there's suddenly snow around on the ground or frost that almost looks like snow. Typical English weather there. Or, you know, you put the decorations up, they're starting to get, they can see their eyes are bright and, and they, they start telling everybody about it. Oh, I saw something. It's amazing. They can't help themselves. They just have to share it. Now today we're continuing, and I've entitled this message, The Witnesses to the Promise. There is no hidden agenda in the title. It's, hopefully it's quite clear where we're looking at. We're going to be looking at the shepherds, the magi, and King Herod this morning. But first we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2. I've done the work, it will come up behind me. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 8 to verse 20. Now, in those days, no, that's verse 1, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what, they, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glory, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. First and foremost today, we're going to be looking at what I've called the lowly shepherds. Okay? Now, I have a few questions when I look over this passage, and I think it's always good to ask questions of Scripture. And my first question is, why the shepherds? 
out of all the people that God could announce that Christ had been born to, the first he chose that we see recorded were shepherds. Shepherds out in a field at night. And my question is, why? And again, I look back into the time then, the culture then, and quite often shepherds were looked down upon in Jesus' day. They were often seen as outsiders. Their work made them, according to the Old Testament law, ceremonially unclean. They were often, quite often, in contact with dirty, smelly sheep, often their manure, any cuts and grazes, insects that buzzed around them. But also, apparently, this is not, you know, this is just a few have stated this, apparently shepherds at the time had a reputation for not always being trustworthy. So they're often seen almost at the fringes of society. Now, what's interesting here for me is that God first sent the good news to the lowly, those on the fringes of society. This was Jesus' mission. And if you look in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19, you see Jesus say this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was Jesus' mission. He would be anointed to bring the good news to what we read there as the poor, people of low status in society, but also the blind, those who needed to receive revelation and experience salvation through him. Now we read through this narrative how the angel appeared to these shepherds. Later on, a whole host of angels appear. And rightfully and predictably, the shepherds' first response was one of fear. Scripture says they were terrified. Now, if I was in their shoes, if, or sandals, in the fields at night, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to me, I think I would freak out, especially when considering they have not had, at this point, any knowledge of what had happened before, what God was doing in that moment. So for them, I mean, again, this still follows the 400 years of silence. They're having an encounter, an angelic encounter, I think they would be blown away in that moment and at disbelief at what they were witnessing. They had never seen anything like this. Um, That's my thought process here, is what were they thinking in the moment? Were they asking questions like, what is going on? What does this mean? Am I seeing things? Yet, what is an encouragement within this passage is that the angel immediately comforted their fears with reassurance. His appearing signaled an occasion for rejoicing, not fearing. And when I was looking at this, I was reflecting on my own walk with God. I'm thinking, when I am, when we are faced with the things that are incomprehensible, unimaginable, even unbelievable, just as the shepherds were in this situation, how often 
do we allow fear and doubt, worry or anxiety to be our narrative? I don't understand it and it worries me. This doesn't make sense and anxiety builds within us. I don't understand what I am seeing in this moment. Almost piggybacking off last week's message, my reality is in conflict to what God is doing. What if, in fact, these unimaginable, incomprehensible moments are an occasion to rejoice? To just say, God, I don't, I don't understand, but I believe it's you. To allow awe and wonder to shape our hearts and minds, because it reveals just how big God is. That's when I read through these, these uh, what, what we see in the Gospels recorded of Jesus' birth, I just, it just reminds me the magnitude of God how he's present, how he's moving, how he's got a plan and a purpose and an agenda, and he's is going to happen regardless of what we say, think, or do. And we have that decision to either be in awe and wonder and in praise and worship or fear, doubt, and question him. And again, I was reflecting, thinking, how often do we require to see breakthrough or gain understanding in order to come before God in praise. That's often been a lot of the time, in the, and I'm still learning, and I think this is, faith is a journey. You don't get it right on day one. And there have been times when I'm like, God, please show me. Please give me something, because I'm not sure where to step. I need to see something. I need to see breakthrough in this. I need to have some kind of understanding just to make sure that it's you. Has that been us before? Asking God those questions. God, I just need to see something to know it's you. And what if instead we just heed to his word and his proclamation and his promise? The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is what the angel said to the shepherds. This is a real event that has happened. The Savior has been born. Will you, those considered lowly, go and see the sign, this baby wrapped in a manger? Will you leave your lowly place on the fringes of society and see the one that will transform your life? Will you go and see? Now, we read that a great heavenly host appeared, an army of angels proclaiming peace, but bringing glory and praise to God. And then coming was again another sign, that peace would come through Jesus to all people. As we read in the prophet Isaiah, he's the prince of peace, and he had come. How did the shepherds respond? Now, they could have just shrugged this event off. Maybe they were they're, they're tending their sheep at night, and I'm thinking about this. They're out at night. They have this angelic encounter. They've never experienced anything like this before. And they could have just been like, oh, I must be a bit tired. I must be seeing things. Maybe they were, we don't know how many shepherds were there. Maybe they're talking with one another, thinking, did you see that? Or was that just me? 
Am I seeing things again? Was that actually water in our wineskins, or did we actually mix something in a bit different there? Am I seeing something? Did we really just witness that? But we read how there were none of these questions. All we have is that they immediately hurried off. Let's go and see this thing. Let's go and see what it's all about. Is that true for us? When God says, go and see, do we go and see? Or do we stay and question him some more? I wrote, I wrote down here just some thoughts to that. I'm thinking, do I, do I go and see, or would I rather see and then go? Because quite often I fall into the latter category. Pointing my hands up here. Sometimes it's easier to see, see how God is moving, saying, okay, I can see you're moving, I'm going to go and follow you now. But quite often, especially when you read through this, the Old Testament, all the way through to the New Testament, you see these encounters, these situations where God says, go. And they don't know where they're going to. The people that follow, they don't know where God is leading them to, but they go anyway. And eventually, they see what he's doing. And we see, they go and they see this, this, this sign, this Jesus in a manger. And they're overjoyed. And they, as a response, after witnessing this event, they spread the word of what they had seen. They had no other agenda. We need to go and tell people this. We've just been told, we've seen that it's true, now we need to go and tell other people what we have witnessed. It was not a case of, wow, yeah, that's true. There's a baby in a manger. Let's get back to our sheep. None of that. It was an opportunity to spread good news. And likewise, we in this place, we have tasted and seen how good that news is. And just like those then, people may well be amazed at what we have to share. We just have to be willing to go and share it. Bold enough to go and share it, just like the shepherds were. These shepherds represented all people of lowly origin and reputation. Even you and I, at times, I believe, I, I believe there have been moments in my life I felt like I didn't have a place. But then I read this, and I think the good news is also for me. It's also for you, and it's also for people in our community. And we just have to receive it, and then go and proclaim it, joyfully. You see, there was my one take from this whole encounter with the shepherds was that the Great Commission that we see at the end of the Gospels, it was almost foreshadowed even before Jesus' earthly ministry began 30 years later. The shepherds, they heard the good news, they saw it, experienced it with their own eyes, and then they went and shared it with others. Isn't that what God asks of us in the Great Commission? Go into this world and speak the good news. 
preached the news, made disciples. The shepherds were already sharing the news. And this was all even before Jesus came and his earthly ministry actually began 30 years later. For me, that's quite incredible. But now we're going to move forward. Move forward one or two years. And we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to read from verses 1 all the way through to verse 12. And we're going to be looking at the, the Magi and King Herod. Because they were other, these were other witnesses to the promise. Now we read, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, up to this moment, about one, maybe two years have actually passed since Jesus was born. Now we often in, I know we have it in our house, we have it out in the foyer, a lot of people have put up a nativity scene. Do you put up a nativity scene in your house? And it, it almost has everybody present there. You have you know, the baby Jesus, you have Mary and Joseph, the angel, sometimes you have a little crib with a little star on the top as well. But then you also have shepherds and a sheep, and the Magi, or the three kings there, as well, offering. And even though we have this nativity scene of everyone gathered around the manger, it's not exactly what happened, and we read that in Scripture. Sometime after Jesus had been dedicated in the temple, Magi came from the east, who had seen the star that heralded Christ's birth. Again, I start to ask questions when I read this. I was thinking, who are the Magi? Who are they? Now, some say they could be experts related to stars because they saw the Star of David and they knew what it represented and so they followed it. So they could have been astrologers back in the day. Or they could have been priestly individuals 
some traditions state they were kings. Regardless of who they are, they saw a sign and perhaps news at this point had spread to their ears. But whatever it, or whoever they are, they followed. They wanted to see what it was all about. They, they recognized that star and they knew what it represented and they wanted to honor what they would find. Now they arrived in Jerusalem looking for this child. Now, news of their quest reached this king, King Herod, and it troubled him. Now, Herod is given a bad rap here, and I just want to be a bit of give a bit of sympathy to this king. Just a bit. Because I'm thinking, I can actually put myself in his shoes. Because when I'm troubled by that which is new or goes against my reason or thinking, I can be opposed to it. I have a perspective, I have a point of view, and if something speaks in contrary to that, I'm like, hmm, this doesn't sound right. This is kind of making me feel a little bit uneasy here. Not much is written about him, but all we know is that he was obviously jealous. Some expositors have regarded him as a cruel tyrant. He questioned the Magi and asked them to report back to him. Now, the quest the Magi were on, as we know, was they, were one, they wanted to find the one that was the king of the Jews. They wanted to find what the star was leading to. And it's amazing to me to think that when Jesus was born, he already came with stature. He was already the king of kings. Already. These magi, considered wise men and great in importance and knowledge, wanted to pay homage to Jesus, who was still just a child. Now, as I said, King Herod was regarded as jealous and cruel. And he was threatened by this news of a possible rival king and so plotted a way in which he could essentially kill the threat. I would say it's pride, stubbornness, maybe arrogance, blinded him to what was going on. Believing that everything and everyone was subject to him. Everything revolved around him. And I think even if I'm not careful, if we're not careful, these things can rise up in our lives and they can blind us to the reality of what God is doing in our midst. Because we think, I know the answer. Maybe we don't. Maybe we just need to shift our perspective. In Proverbs 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. See, the Magi's presence should have revealed the significance of what had happened. Them just simply being there should have revealed to Herod, this is something of significance, because they've traveled all the way from the east. Now, I found a quote, and it didn't tell me who the author was. It said it was Bruce, and that was it. And I'm thinking, there are many expositors out there with the surname Bruce. 
So I don't want to say who it who, I don't want to allude to who it was. But the quote was simply, the world is ruled not by truth but by opinion. And that made me think. It was certainly the case with Herod. His opinion as a king, ruler of what was right and wrong, and I think is very true in our world today. That quite often the world is ruled, ruled by opinion rather than its foundation on truth. Herod's opinion, perspective of the situation was clouding the incredible, momentous act that was already in operation. He just had to open his eyes and just see. And we read how he said, go to, he went to the Magi and said, go and report to me. Report to me what you've seen so I can worship him. I don't think he wanted to worship this so-called king. And the Magi went, and they were led by the star to Jesus. And upon discovering him, we read that they instantly bowed down in worship. They reached the end of their journey, and they were overjoyed when they found the house that Jesus was in. And as soon as they arrived, they bowed down and worshipped. What I found interesting was it was cus it's customary in the ancient Near East to present gifts when approaching a superior. The Magi's expensive gifts reflect the great honor that they had for Jesus. And we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, how everything we must do must be for the glory of God. Everything we do must be for his glory. And we see in this passage how the Magi, they recognized Jesus' deity and they worshipped him and they gave him their best offering. Now, fortunately, we see how God supernaturally intervened to keep the Magi from returning to Herod, stopping him from targeting Jesus precisely and we read later, if you were to continue the narrative, that when he found out that he had been deceived, anger just rose up with him, and he retaliated. He, was, he ordered the killing of boys aged two years or less in Bethlehem. But once again, God, God intervened, warning Joseph in a dream, and him and his family, they fled to Egypt. And then sometime later, Herod died, and this is all we read of him. In, in just looking over these witnesses to the promise, you've got the shepherds who witnessed it first. And a couple of years later, we see how these, these magi, so-called wise men or kings, then came to see it. And even them speaking it to Herod, I mean, Herod was aware of what was going on, which makes him a witness to it as well. And my question to us is, are we shepherds, magi, or a Herod? Do we consider ourselves lowly, of no value in society, nothing of value to offer? Because if so, we need to recognize that the good news was first delivered to the lowly. They not only witnessed it, but then they went out and proclaimed it. Perhaps we may put ourselves in the camp of the Magi, 
We've heard this news and we've come to see what it's all about. Are we willing to give Christ the best we have to offer? Do we recognize God in his magnitude as they did? In Romans 12:1, we read how we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, a spiritual act of worship. Are we willing to give our all in all to the King of Kings? Perhaps, dare I say, we're a Herod. Maybe we're allowing some sort of pride, stubbornness, confusion, anger to take root in our hearts and minds. And by doing so, it could be clouding what God is doing, how God is moving. It could be as simple as just letting our personal opinion of right and wrong die to allow God's truth to rise in our hearts by faith. See, you and I, we are witnesses to the promise. We have his word available to us that speaks such truth about who God is, how he's moving, how he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. We have the good news at our fingertips. And we've all, I believe we've encountered and experienced it in some shape or form in our lives, are we willing to proclaim it through the very lives that we live? Not just on a Sunday morning, not just in our life groups, but are we willing to proclaim it through the very words that we speak, the very way that we act every single day? We can witness to the promise. And maybe, just maybe, there are people in our community that, who have not heard it before or not actually seen it in action through the very lives that we live. And it may be the very thing that they need to come to him. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at or check out our website at www.centerchurch.uk.